Welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our Wednesday edition for the first week of the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I am your host, Karsten. Welcome back to the show, both uh, experienced listeners and, of course, welcome to the show if this is your first time listening. Uh, we really appreciate you stopping by. Hopefully we have a, a great podcast for you. Um, you know, diehard NBA fans, casual NBA fans, um, you know, wherever you fall on that spectrum, hopefully have a great show for you. Um, and we've had some great playoff basketball so far, uh, so far, excuse me, starting to get an accent for no reason. Um, yeah, before we dive into it, um, just a quick heads up um, in case there's any differences between um, the previous episodes and this one. That's simply because um, I'm trying out a slightly different setup. What we've been doing before is um, my audio setup has been connected to my old um, Mac computer simply because... Um, it, it was a laptop. It had a built-in webcam. That made sense for me to have with, um, you know, the the Zoom that we would record our um, sessions through with, you know, Wyatt and Justin. Uh, having that webcam was a big help in that. But now I just recently was able to get a webcam for my main computer. So I'm now able to switch everything onto the main computer. I can have the... Um, excuse me, the upload sites for the podcast, um, the audio interface, the uh, Zoom calls, everything set up on the main computer where I've also in the past, that's where I have, you know, the the script outlines, the um, the statistics, you know, so I'm kind of bouncing between the, the Mac and the main computer. But right now, new webcam, I now have the ability to do everything from this same computer. So that uh, I'm excited about that. I think that'll be better for the setup. Um, but again, if there's any differences, that is the reason. Um, and just a little bit of a heads up if I'm trying to get used to a, a slightly different arrangement for things. But um, uh, that's enough about my uh, setup. Let's go ahead and dive into the um, meat of this um, uh, this podcast. And that is the Last couple days of playoff action, so we're talking Monday and Tuesday's games, which is five games total, and we'll we'll start right off with it. Monday, the first game from Monday's slate, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers uh, built their lead in the series. They are now up 2-0 to zero against the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, they won that second game in Philadelphia 96-84, to 84. Uh, so they took care of business at home. They're up 2-0. Now they go into Brooklyn hoping to try and steal at least one game, which would put them in very good position to close out that series. Meanwhile, of course, for the Brooklyn Nets, they want to sweep their home series. They want to get themselves back into the series. Um, Losing either of those games at home is going to be very tough to overcome. Um, That would put them at a 3-1 deficit. Of course, with um, a lot of NBA fans, you say the the phrase 3-1 and they think of a lot of recent upsets that happened, particularly in the, the 2016 playoffs, 2015 playoffs, that kind of general area, especially 2016. So it's possible to overcome that deficit. We've seen it in very recent history, but the statistics are not great. And it's a tough series to, you know, to try and win four in a row um, or, or three in a row, rather. That can be very tough, you know, especially as a lower seed. So again, uh, these next couple of games in Brooklyn are going to be very key as to how the rest of the series plays out. Um, and uh, credit Tyrese Maxey. He was a big part of this win back and forth game. Again, it looks like Brooklyn for the most part was competitive throughout. You know, I think that um, a lot of people picked the Sixers to win the series, probably most. And it's not really anything against Brooklyn. It's just Philadelphia, uh, a little bit more consistent team, a little bit more star power impact. Um, you know, a potential MVP and Embiid, league leader and assists and Harden compared to Brooklyn, who has a little bit younger talent, talent that now is thrust into um, star roles when before they've been role players. And a couple of those guys are exceeding expectations. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson a little bit, too. But, um, you know, credit to the Nets. They are competitive in both these games, even if they haven't won either of the games. They've been competitive. And I think they have a solid chance if they, you know, can keep this kind of performance up, maybe get just a little more out of some of the other guys. I think they have a good chance to try and tie this series and go back to Philly two and two. This could be a very interesting series very quickly. Um, So yeah, credit to Brooklyn. Cameron Johnson mentioned him. Of course, Mikhail Bridges has been the big talking piece, but Johnson in this game, 28 points. And uh, most of those from what I saw coming in the first half 
uh, or so of the game. So huge scoring, great overall game. He also grabbed uh, four rebounds, uh, got a, a couple steals, a block. Mikhail Bridges solid still too, not quite as good as last game, but still productive. 21 points, uh, seven assists, five rebounds. Dinwiddie, 12 points, six assists, four rebounds. Uh, Claxton, zero points, six rebounds, maybe a bit of an off night. Um, and then uh, they only had the three double-figure scores, Johnson, Bridges, and Dinwiddie. Um, and, you know, to still, to only lose by 12 in this game uh, with a high pace of offense in, in recent seasons, this season especially, you know, both these teams' offensive capabilities – to lose only by 12 and have the Sixers not even score hundred points, you know, with some off nights um, from some of these other guys. Again, I like to see what the Nets can do at home. I think this could be very interesting. Uh, you look at the Sixers though. Yeah. Maxi 33 points along with three rebounds, great shooting percentages for him Embiid and Tobias Harris, each with 20 points uh, Embiid with 19 rebounds, three blocks, a steal and seven assists. So good scoring, but then incredible at everything else in the game here. Um, you know, showing that MVP caliber basketball. Harris also grabbed 12 rebounds. Very nice rebounding night for him. Harden with seven assists, four steals. Bit of an off night, but still the Sixers get the win. So, um, and compared to what he did in game one, um, you know, next game a little off. Nothing uh, super serious to be ultra concerned about. Um you know, not worth writing off either. But uh, again, Sixers, strong position, but don't write off the Nets. I think that, you know, depending on what happens in game three, this could very quickly become very interesting. Or if the Sixers are able to get that third game, um, it's going to be very, very tough for Brooklyn to win the series. But again, still great game. Uh, great job for Philadelphia getting that second win of the series. Um, next, let's talk about that second game from Monday, and this was a hugely consequential game. Uh, we're still getting some, you know, uh, some aftershocks from this uh, in in the last day or so. Um, <clears throat> this is that uh, our, our Kings Warriors series, maybe the most exciting, or one of the most exciting series in the playoffs in the first round at this point. Uh, and the Sacramento Kings, they got it done at home. They got both home games. They won game two, so now they have a two zero lead. They won that game 114 to 106, another close game, um, back and forth type affair. Um, Warriors tied it mid fourth quarter. Um, the Kings, a touch more in control as far as um, not, you know, losing that lead and having to build back in the third quarter. Uh, they retook the lead and, and never trailed after the second quarter. But again, multiple ties throughout. Um, and it was a very close, very uh, tightly contested affair, very physical affair. Uh, one play in particular, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Um, firstly, look at the box score for the Warriors. Again, Curry played very well. I mean, the three-point percentage is a bit off, but still 28 points, six assists, three rebounds, five turnovers. So not quite as good as game one, but still solid. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, 22 points. He started in this game. So, you know, what we saw in game one, started in this game, got 22 points. The rust not really a factor, and it looks like he is back to full strength, which is great for the Warriors. But you know, now with their seemingly full health, that has seemed to combat the you know the inconsistencies and and in particular the road struggles. Um, and they haven't played bad games, but again, they I think they ended up as a sixth seed this season for a reason. Home as a home team. Nearly unbeatable. I mean, phenomenal home team, but the road team that the Warriors were, I mean, Jekyll and Hyde situation. And um, I, I just, I understand it, but I love what the Kings have done as far as subverting people's expectations going into the series. People were ready to throw out the seeds because, Oh, it's the Kings, you know, feel good story. They're in the playoffs, but uh you know, they they are going to feel good just being in the playoffs. They'll, you know, more than likely lose in the first round. Some people are saying that and they're now up 2-0 and I'm not guaranteeing they win. They're in a very good position to do so. Um, but as you know, if we want to talk my biases, I would love to see the Kings win purely for that reason of, you know, people need to respect what they did in regular season, you know, and it kind of rose me the wrong way a little bit when people are so eager justifiably so to, you know, 
put the crown on the Warriors and look to who they're going to play in the second round, you know, and I've said it too, uh, the heart of a champion, you know, never underestimate the heart of a champion, Rudy T, the great coat, uh, great head coach and a great quote. Um, you have to factor that in, you know, the, this Warriors team, multiple time champions, you can't disregard that. And they're going to be a, a potent force in the playoffs. That's why I knew this series was going to be, you know, competitive um, and exciting, but there's still the lower seed in this one. You know, as much as the Warriors have as good a chance as anyone to, to win this series, the Kings have an advantage for a reason. And um, anyways, getting on my soapbox a little bit there, I'll kind of pause it there. So we don't go on too much of a tangent, but anyways, yeah, Curry 28 Wiggins, 22, Thompson, 21 points, five rebounds, three assists. Um, so those three solid games, they got 13 off the bench from Gary Payton the second. Great to see him back um, productive. Slightly different jersey number from last season, but still very cool. Um, but again, the Kings, they're just so, you know, they've got great depth. They've got a great offense. They've got that, you know, quintessential, somewhat cliche you know, they're all about team, right? Um, I mean, they have the stars. They have Sabonis and Fox. Um, Barnes a little bit, too, as far as the established veteran. But, you know, they can they do a lot of different things. They pick up for each other. And, uh, yeah, I just love watching this team play. Um, and in the, this last game, it was Fox and Sabonis leading this charge as far as scoring goes. Kind of what you'd expect. 24 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists for Demonis Sabonis. Um played the most minutes um, of anyone on the Kings, uh, despite, again, we'll talk about in just a moment, uh, some injury issues. Um, 24 points, nine assists, four steals, and a block, along with five rebounds for De'Aaron Fox. Both of those tremendous games, uh, you know, alongside each other. 18 points off the bench for Malik Monk. He continues to be red hot as their sixth man in the playoffs. Six rebounds and three assists as well. Uh, 15 points five rebounds, two blocks and a steal for Kevin Herter. Herter the uh you know solid guard but showing the the shot blocking ability. Kind of unexpected, very cool to see. Uh Davion Mitchell who also had a clutch 3 I saw in the game. 14 points, three assists and two steals. Really alongside Monk showing the strength of that bench um despite what people might have assumed about that bench. Um Trey Lyles, Alex Len, also really being productive there. Um, and then 13 points for Harrison Barnes, six rebounds, but he also got three steals. So just, you know, guys contributing in a multitude of ways, the shooting and the Kings didn't even shoot that well from three. I mean, they were below 25% from three for the whole game. Uh, the Warriors shot better from three for the whole game, but they just, you know, they found a way to win. Um, and that is that game three in Golden State, again, if this matches the regular season, it's very likely that we go into game five in Sacramento tied two to two. But if the Kings can steal that one game, that game five in Sacramento is going to be, I mean, you thought the game one was loud um, for the Kings being back in the playoffs Kings with a chance to win a playoff series and go to the second round. If that's the case, if they're up three, one going into game five, that place is going to be bedlam. You know, I I'm just saying, I'm looking forward to that if that's the case. But again, great game for the Kings um, and it's still a great series, you know, 2-0, but it feels like it could very easily be 1-1 or 0-2 or the other way. So uh, looking forward to game three, but again, great job to the Kings on that one. Uh, so those are your Monday games. Let's go ahead and jump to Tuesday. So this was your uh, the start of your game threes uh, for those, or sorry, no, game, game twos. Um, we're still on game twos today. Uh, today we're wrapping up game twos Wednesday and then Thursday, I believe is the start of game threes. Um, so my apologies, a little bit uh, mixed up here, but the first game from Tuesday's slate, it was the second game of that Celtics Hawks series. Um, and again, uh, it's, you know, Hawks got off to a hot start, but then the Celtics, you know, pulled away built a solid, consistent lead, a little different than game one. If you remember game one, the Celtics ran off a huge offensive first quarter, built a 30 point lead at halftime. And then the Hawks chipped away at that to where you thought, maybe this is going to be a game. Maybe this is going to be an all time type of comeback. And then the Celtics kind of refocused. They were able to hold the Hawks off. 
This time, Hawks got off to a hot start. Celtics, you know, fought back early, took the lead at the end of the first quarter, and then built a solid lead throughout the rest of the game. So credit to the Celtics in that sense. Credit to the Hawks as well. You know, coming out swinging, um, the Hawks are not going to be giving up this series, uh, you know, without a fight. And fully expect some uh, some really hotly contested games in Atlanta. Uh, I think that that's going to be a great one to watch for as well. That atmosphere, uh, you know, they love the Hawks. They love Trey Young. I think that could be great to watch. But again, credit to the Celtics. They kept going. They win this one 119 to 106 in Boston to grab that 2-0 series lead. Um, so they're in a good position for the Hawks. Uh, Trey Young, DeJounte Murray, you know, their leading scores, uh, par for the course there. Murray with 29 points, six rebounds, six assists, and four steals. Great all-round game. He also made seven three-pointers, really showing how much he's improved from the three-point line. I remember uh, his first couple of years in the league, you know, we wondered, is he going to be able to shoot the three, uh, let alone a mid-range type shot? He was clearly a great defender, uh, but that offensive ability was, you know, it took some time. And now he's hitting seven threes in a, a playoff game. Really cool to see. Young, not far behind, 24 points, six assists, three rebounds and two steals, uh, five turnovers. Murray and Young combined for eight total turnovers, maybe a bit of a factor there. And Young, not as great with the shooting percentages. Uh, DeAndre Hunter and Bogdan Bogdanovich each had 18 points uh, individually. Hunter added 12 rebounds and three assists, but he also had five, uh, four other, other turnovers. So again, a little bit of that turnover issue being a, a factor for Atlanta, possibly. Uh, Bogdanovich, four assists, two steals. Um, again, showing off that defensive ability. Capella, only four points. Seven boards, two steals, and a block. Uh, not a terrible game. John Collins, five points, six rebounds. Again, that's going to be a huge factor. If the Hawks want to really be competitive in the series, and really if they wanted to finish better in the regular season, they've needed John Collins' level of play that he had just a couple of years ago. I mean, he, he's never been quite an all-star player, but he's been you know, an above-average starter at his best and, you know, shown some dynamic play, but this season for whatever reason has just kind of regressed and five points in that playoff game. That's, that's a tough situation, tough for them to overcome, especially when they, you know, their roster is built for him to be at least a decent points contributor. Um, so some, something to look for in the, in the future, uh, outside of him on Kongu, eight points, nine rebounds, two blocks. Uh, Okungu is interesting as well, as far as the future of that front court, Capella versus Okungwu, you know, uh, especially with Capella missing time in the regular season, Okungwu got a lot of starts, played very well. Um, so that's some intrigue for the offseason. But again, you know, their their stars, their star backcourt did their job, but the Celtics just a better overall team at this point. You know, 29 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, a steal and a block for Tatum. Four, four turnovers, a little high, but still great, uh, great all-around performance. 26 points, seven rebounds, three blocks, and a steal for Derek White. Uh, again, the verticality, getting those blocks. I uh, like to see that great shooting all around for White. Uh, 18 points, three steals, two blocks for Jalen Brown. Three rebounds and two assists as well. All-round game, despite uh, not being a huge point scorer compared to what he's done in the past. Uh, 14 points, six assists, and three steals for Marcus Smart. And 13 points, eight assists, seven rebounds off the bench for Malcolm Brogdon, who also picked up a steal and a block along with that. You know, just showing off the depth as well as the potency of that starting lineup. Um, Celtics taking care of business. And again, similar to, uh, you know, that Sixer series or, or any other series where it's a 2 0 would lead. They, and I think that's all of them we've talked about up to this point. You steal a game on the road, you're in a great position to to finish off that series, move on to, uh, you know, conference semis, the second round. So a uh, great job for the Celtics all around in that one. Let's jump to that uh, second game of Tuesday's action. Uh, and this was a, a series tying game in which the Cleveland Cavaliers got the win at home in the second game after losing it at home in the first game. Um, they win 107 to 90 against the New York Knicks. That series is one to one going back to New York in Madison Square Garden. One to one series. Oh, you love to see it, especially playoffs back in the Garden um, against a team that has a player 
that a lot of Knicks fans were hoping would be a Nick this season. A lot of people looking at Donovan Mitchell in the offseason with the Jazz situation and thinking, man, maybe the Knicks can trade him, uh, trade for him, get some, you know, send something to Utah, get Donovan Mitchell here in New York. Um, for New York, it all worked out. You know, without Donovan, they still went out and signed Jalen Brunson, uh, who's become an all star caliber player himself. Uh, you know, not as good as a Donovan Mitchell, but maybe just a step down. Um, you know, not too far from that uh, that quality of player, and maybe in the near future he continues to grow his game to that point. So, you know, interesting, you know, minor storyline there. Competitive first quarter uh, and into the second quarter, and then the the Cavs really went on a run, and they had a solid lead in that second half. Really um, convincing win for them in this one. For the Knicks, they were led by uh, Julius Randle, 22 points, 8 rebounds, 6 turnovers, a little bit rough, but, um, you know, decent game. Jalen Brunson, 20 points, 6 assists, 5 rebounds, and 4 steals. Great defense, but his percentages were rough. Not a great shooting night. Uh, 14 points for R.J. Barrett, 12 points off the bench for Emmanuel quickly, um, and those were their double-figure scores. You look at the Cavs. Uh, four double figure scores as well, but uh, one of those Darius Garland of 32 points, seven assists, three rebounds, tremendous shooting. He was six of 10 from three point range, lights out from three, uh, 24 points off the bench for Karis Levert. And I, I, you know, mentioned him with game one when we were talking about that. He had an off night off the bench for them, and I thought, you know, you love to see some more scoring for him. Uh, he definitely responded in game two, 24 off the bench is stellar. Four rebounds, three assists. That's more what we kind of expect from Levert being able to do off the bench in that type of position. Mitchell, only 17 points, still productive, but, you know, really got the team involved. 13 assists here, two steals and a block. Great all-round percentages. Um, you know, really complimenting Garland's game in this one. Uh, and that's really a unique facet of this uh, backcourt tandem, uh, slightly unique in comparing it to, mo- you know, other great backcourts of this modern era. Um both of these guys, tremendous passing ability. Mitchell gets underrated. Um, he doesn't always rack up a lot of assists, but he can make some incredible passes as far as uh, the ability to put it on the money, to you know make it from odd angles. I remember with the Jazz, he would have a number of falling out of bounds, driving baseline, looks like he's out of control. It's like a baseball style you know, heave, and he gets it right into a pocket for a guy to, to get a three- you know, and I'm not saying he's the purest of passers, but he's got a tremendous passing ability. And that combined with Garland, more your, you know, he's a scoring point guard, but has that traditional point guard passing ability. Um, I like that for Cleveland very much. Uh, they also got 13 points, 13 rebounds, two steals, two blocks from Evan Mobley, quintessential, you know, grabbing the, the boards, defending inside, and alongside Jared Allen, who did the same. 10 rebounds, three steals, three blocks. Those two really controlling the defensive side of the floor, cleaning up the glass, uh, getting Cleveland uh, easy, you know, making it easy for them to to uh, get it done, you know, offensively and, and get the win in this one. So, again, great job to Cleveland. Tied up series. Now you're going to the Garden for what should be a very exciting game three. Finally, uh, from Tuesday's action, let's go ahead and talk about the Suns, similar to the Cavs in this one, uh, winning game two at home in Phoenix to tie up their series with the Clippers, the LA Clippers. They win 123 to 109, and that means uh, the Clippers will be hosting game three, and the Suns will be looking to try and steal one there, at least one, uh, to you know tie up that series two to two, going back to Phoenix, or maybe even try and take it 3-1. If you can win both games on the road, you know, power to you. But um, yeah, Phoenix bounces back and um Devin Booker a big part of this not a huge surprise um Clippers controlled that first half pretty well you know looked like maybe they could be off to the same kind of a game they had last time out but the Suns really responded um after the halftime break um going on a run building a lead uh finishing with their largest lead of the game 14 points um definitely the perfect response uh, after a game one disappointment, you just got to come out stronger in that second game, you know, tie that series up and, you know, you've technically lost that home court advantage, but it's, you know, you, you've got an opportunity to, to kind of start fresh with, you know, two games under the rate under your belt 
tied series. Now it's like a best of five series in, in some senses. So, uh, you know, credit to the Suns for being able to do that. For the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook were still um, very impressive in this game. Leonard with 31 points, eight rebounds, seven assists, and three steals, um, doing just about all he can for this team. Westbrook with 28 points, five rebounds, five assists, and two blocks. Um, just a touch less impressive in the uh, the defensive and the you know the the non scoring categories, but the scoring makes up for that. You know, still a tremendous game from Westbrook. Uh, 12 points each for both Eric Gordon and Norman Powell. Uh, they're, they're scoring guards, both young and old, uh, Powell also with two steals and a block. Uh, so that's pretty cool to see that defensive touch. And then, uh, Terrence Mann, another scoring guard, 10 points off the bench as well. Again, not terrible games, uh, but Toom, no points in that starting lineup. That's a bit of a factor. Uh, Zubats could have had a better game, I suppose, 8.6 rebounds, uh, two steals, but, uh, for the Suns, they just really responded well. Booker with 38 points nine assists and a steal uh, Durant, 25 points, six rebounds, five assists, two blocks and a steal showing off his defensive ability that has really grown. And I think has been a little bit underrated over the last few years as he's shifted to kind of being typically more power forward uh, in recent seasons. He's now, you know, charged with a little bit more of that interior defensive uh, presence and responsibility. And he's, I think responded very well, uh, and he's showing that off. Showed that off in this game. Seventeen points for Tory Craig, uh, three rebounds, two assists, and two steals. Along with that, very productive, and sixteen points, eight assists, plus one steal, one block for Chris Paul. So, um, not to mention fourteen points, thirteen rebounds for DeAndre Ayton. All their starters were tremendous. They were all the double figure scorers. They got a few points off the bench from Biombo and uh, Josh Okogie. Biombo also. Racked up three blocks. Like to see that a little bit of that playoff Biombo we saw uh, a few years back with Toronto. But you know, solid response from the Suns. Again, tied up series. You've got you know a best of five, best of five series now. Essentially, you're on the road now with the Clippers having three of the next five. But um, if you can win just one, you go back to Phoenix now with the best of three, and you've reclaimed that home court advantage. Um, it goes seven games at that point, likely six or seven games. You're in a position with a longer series, which is not ideal. But the most important thing in the playoffs, of course, is winning a series, regardless of how many games. If you get caught up in that mindset of, well, you know, we got to pressure ourselves to win it in a certain number of games, you know, I think you kind of risk either, well, kind of an and or, and also in some senses, um, a little bit of a, a fumble there, but really if you're thinking about we need to win this in X amount of games, then if you're not meeting that expectations that you're adding more pressure that you don't need. And then also you're thinking ahead to that next round of the playoffs and that limits your abilities in that first round. You got to be all in on each round. You know, you're in the first round and you're there. You're not worried about who you're going to be playing next. You can start worrying about that once you win the series. And so, um, yeah, I mean, again, game three is going to be very interesting. Of course, Clippers have the advantage. But again, if Suns can take just one in L.A., it'll be a longer series. But they've got a chance to, you know, reclaim that home court advantage. So definitely something to watch out for. And all these series have a lot of intrigue going forward. Um, you know, we we knew that... Um, these series, most of these series were going to be very closely competitive. And even those that have been, you know, teams have gotten out to 2-0 leads or there's been, you know, kind of we expect this team to win the series. It's still, there's still close games, you know, and there's every bit of intrigue, you know, there's not a series right now that I feel I would guarantee that'll be a sweep, you know, even if there's a number of series that are 2-0 right now. Um I think that there's, I don't think there's going to be a sweep in the first round. And I don't even know about a, a gentleman sweep. I think most series are going to go most likely six games. You know, maybe if you want to talk Denver, Minnesota, I mean, that game one was very convincing for Denver. That would be one you can maybe look at as well. You know, Minnesota, that's going to be a tough ask to be able to, you know, win 
two games, you know, soon enough to force a, a sixth game. That would be the only series, really. Other than that, we've got um, really tightly contested series, um, despite what scores might kind of lead you to believe. So super exciting playoffs. We've gotten off to a great start, and I can't wait to see um, what else the rest of this playoffs has for us. With that being said, um, that takes care of our games from the last couple of days. Let's go ahead and cover the latest news items. Firstly, a uh, couple of awards, and both of these going to members of the Sacramento Kings. Firstly, the uh, 2023, this is the inaugural year of the NBA's newest award, the Jerry West Clutch Player of the Year Award. And the winner is Sacramento's own De'Aaron Fox. Uh, the other candidates were, of course, Jimmy Butler and DeMar DeRozan. Congratulations to De'Aaron Fox, certainly well-deserving of that. And along with him, uh, the 2023 Coach of the Year, who I believe the namesake is still a Red Auerbach, should be. Um, 2023 Red Auerbach Coach of the Year, the head coach of the Sacramento Kings, Mike Brown. So love to see that. Both those guys getting rewarded for a very rewarding season for the Sacramento Kings well-deserved to both of those guys. Congratulations all round. I'm remembering slash realizing that on Monday's show, after the NBA officially unveiled when these awards would be announced, I don't believe I gave exact timelines or or dates, rather, for those announcements. So firstly, apologies for that. Of course, uh, we learned Defensive Player of the Year on Monday, um, clutch player of the year was Tuesday. And then today we learned the, uh, coach of the year winner tomorrow is the latest, um, official announcement date that we've been, uh, that's been announced that we are privy to. And that will be tomorrow. We're going to be learning who the 2023 sixth man of the year award winner will be. Um, and I believe that is a John Havlicek sixth man of the year award. Uh, again, all most of the NBA's major individual awards were renamed uh, at the beginning of the season uh, to have uh, namesakes of of NBA greats, uh, NBA legends. The trophies also got redesigned as well. Um, but again, sixth man of the year, the John Havlicek sixth man of the year, that will be announced uh, tomorrow. So definitely pay attention to that. Big news with the the Golden State Sacramento series. Um, I alluded to the the scuffle that happened. Uh, if you're listening to the show at this point, you, you've likely already seen the scuffle. I mean, again, it was a couple days back. Um, I alluded to it. I really meant to elaborate on it, elaborate on it with that uh, Kings Warriors recap, but uh, we'll go ahead and do that here. Basically, you know, scuffle under the basket. This series throughout has seen a ton of physicality on the rebound. As soon as shots go up, guys are grabbing, shoving, um, slyly running into someone. Uh, knocking them over. I mean, there's been all sorts of that on both sides uh, for both the Kings and the Warriors throughout these two games, these two early games. This particular action, I believe, uh, Clay had a part, you know, inadvertently or not, bumping into Sabonis, shoving him, whatever it is. Uh, Sabonis falls down. Uh, after the ball goes up, I can't remember. Uh, I think it was a, a rebound out. Sabonis, uh, Draymond Green, his foot is right near Sabonis's head. A lot of people are saying Sabonis grabs Draymond Green's foot, which I don't blame me if you see that. Uh, makes a lot of sense. But it also makes sense, uh, you know, he's got his, his arms near his head. He's got feet all in there. He knows that people are jostling for rebounds. Um, simply trying to do his best to kind of block his head. You know, make something to guard his head as far as, you know, both hands together, making kind of a, you know, a barrier, if you will. It's hard to say for sure. You know, I think it could be either one. He either grabbed Green's leg or he is trying to protect his head. You know, me rooting for the Kings in this situation, I kind of lean towards he's protecting his head. Um, regardless, his arms are around Draymond Green's right foot. Green is standing. He's kind of leaning like he wants to get out on the break, but Sabonis' arms are around his foot. Um, Green kind of steps up. Um, I think Sabonis' arms are around his left foot, if I remember correctly. Green kind of steps up. He gets a, a foot on the chest of Sabonis uh, and, and runs off. Replays show it was a pretty hard plant. Um, 
as much as I am frustrated, you know, personally, just seeing what happened, frustrated with with the incident, I don't really think it was a fully uh, malicious stomp. I do think it was an intentional step on Sabonis, Um, you know, and maybe just Draymond kind of not knowing his physical bounds as far as how hard he could step or slash kick. And um, so he, so he stomps steps, however you want to phrase it on Sabonis goes off, you know, the other way. Sabonis is clearly in, in very, uh, very clear pain from this whole incident. Fans are very irate and the reaction definitely was not in Draymond's favor. He's, you know, doing the hand to the ear to the crowd. He's hyping the team up. He's doing this and that certainly not the appearance of someone who, you know, got tangled up and now a guy is hurt. You know, if you're not trying to hurt him and now suddenly he's hurt, you would kind of think general sportsmanship. You'd be kind of, I hope he's okay. You know, check on him. Hey man, Hey man, I stepped on you. Are y'all good? That'd be my thought. But um, Draymond decided not to go that route, and um, he didn't back down post game. He, uh, you know, kind of put the onus on Sabonis as far as uh, you guys grabbing your leg. The interesting one I saw, Clay Thompson apparently said something along the lines of, "If a guy's running full speed and you grab a leg, then which." is definitely not applicable to this situation. So green was basically stationary odd scenario. Frustrating as far as the, the, the lack of ownership. And I think that's kind of, you know, there's a lot of frustration on, especially on a fan, a fan perspective for this moment. And that's probably the biggest thing that rubs people the wrong way. You know, it's one thing to stomp on a guy, but to not own it and to act innocent and, you know, even if you really did not have any ill intent, but to not show that, you know, compassion for a guy who clearly was hurt and had x-rays after the game because of it, that is a big, you know, amber of contention. And it's the same reason that, you know, a guy like a Bill Lambeer was hated. Um, and so it's, you know, it's Draymond. I understand that. Look, he does a lot of things incredibly well on a basketball floor. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think he's one of the most underrated players as far as number one. He's kind of the the guy who who gets the assists. He helps really run the offense there in Golden State, along with his rebounding at his uh, diminutive size and not ultra stellar athleticism and his defensive prowess. You know, the mentality, the intelligence of the defensive ability, you know, the the maneuverability, getting blocks and steals. I mean, he does a lot of things incredibly well. Not a great scorer, of course, doesn't have to be. Um, but this has also been a part of his, his game. He's an irritant. And generally, I think a lot of those things can be good for a team. But in this kind of situation, this felt a little bit kind of Bush League, you know, to to intentionally or not you know, nearly injure a guy could have been a pretty serious injury and just, you know, not take any ownership. That is pretty frustrating. And so anyways, long story short, here's the, uh, you know, continuing fallout from this on the golden state side of things. Uh, Draymond green did get suspended uh, without pay one game for uh, by the NBA. And that will take place for game three. So Draymond green will not be playing the first game of those, you know, First two games at home in the series, game three and four for Golden State, definitely a tough loss. And then on the Sacramento side of things, uh, some bonus. Again, he had x-rays. Fortunately, the x-rays were negative. The main outcome is apparently a bruised sternum, which is still pretty tough. Um, He's listed as questionable for game three. Certainly, we're hoping that he's able to play in that game, Um, but we'll certainly keep you updated on that and those again. Within the last day or two, we've kind of learned those couple of items. So it's kind of a continuing story in some ways. Um, with that, let's go and jump to the next news item. Uh, for the Washington Wizards, 
Uh, they're starting their offseason moves a little bit early. General manager Tommy Shepard has been fired uh, after four seasons. The, I think the terminology Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN used when he kind of broke that story uh, or was in the breaking of that story kind of maybe at the same time as the NBA's sites or, or whatever. The terminology was uh, reassigned, which is, you know, you got to love that. You're protecting guys that are, you know, ultra high ups in front offices of uh, multi-million billion dollar entities in sports franchises. And you can't say that he got fired. He got reassigned uh, or um, or let go or, you know, whatever it is. So, so he's been fired after four seasons. Um, I don't know. I It feels weird talking about the general managers in particular, um, especially when it comes to, you know, the average general manager versus one that's truly um, – failing to meet base expectations, really not doing a job that they're needing to as far as building a team, those kind of things. You know, I think all of us can point to guys like, uh, you know, a Billy King maybe. Um, this guy wasn't a, a GM, but he kind of liked to play GM. Ted Stepien, I mean, those are some clear choices as far as, you know, either ineptitude, lack of direction, lack of vision, um you know, not knowing how to put the team together, those kind of things. Um, I can say for the Wizards that they have felt kind of directionless over the last few seasons. Um, you know, they they have a a one year trial of Russell Westbrook and and you know win win enough play in games to to earn a first round exit at the hands of the Sixers a couple of years back. Um, they've held on to Bradley Beal and not really done much to build around him as if, you know, okay, he's now the star. We thought John Wall was the star. Now Bradley Beal's the more consistent, um, maybe even a little bit better overall type star. How, how do we build around him? There hasn't really been that direction. And so so he's been fired. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they go with in their direction. From what I've seen, though, it looks like their head coach, Wes Unseld Jr., he's going to stay on board. Um, so now it'll be maybe just a test of, okay, um, roster construction is the issue rather than the coaching. Or that seems like that's the assessment assessment of the Wizards. What happens if we trade out general managers, try and bring in someone new? Uh, if that roster gets better, is the team going to get better? You know, was the roster limiting the coach? Or do we then find out, oh, the coach is limiting the roster? Um, so again, kind of a lot of work to be done in Washington, but that is... Uh, the latest update as far as that goes. Um, that was an interesting one, kind of fell under the radar, but this is pretty consequential. Uh, NBA general news, uh, beginning with the 2024 NBA draft, players who do not participate in the draft combine will be ineligible for the draft. Um, and that's pretty unique because in the past, the draft combine has not really been, it's nowhere near the same level as the NFL's draft combine. I mean, that's a, that's an event for your hardcore NFL fan for two or three days. Um, you know, you're going to watch that. You're going to see all the prospects, pretty much all the big ones, maybe a couple exceptions, but you'll see them all put up those, those numbers, those combine numbers, and that'll directly correlate uh, or influence the, the following draft, right? With the NBA draft, um, I tried to check one time. I don't believe they actually even really broadcast it anywhere. If they do, it's maybe a league pass thing. Otherwise, has not really been a big part. And I, you know, would not be surprised if uh like half the prospects didn't care to participate in it. But now it looks like the NBA really wants to make that a point of emphasis. They want to grow the combine. So that's interesting to see. Um, I'm not opposed to it as far as um a little bit more off season basketball, you know. You've got a uh well, I guess combine is probably going to be during the, the postseason. So in that case, it might be a little bit odd, but to have that little bit of extra intrigue, as far as being able to see these prospects, comparing them in those metrics, whether or not they always correlate to the game um, is always up for debate. And, you know, but it, it's, it's, it will be fun to see. So I'm interested to see how that plays out in the future. Um, 
Finally, just a few injury kind of updates. Uh, some of the stuff we talked about on Monday. Firstly, for the Miami Heat, uh, Tyler Hero is a pretty severe injury, a broken right hand. Uh, he's reportedly going to be having surgery on that. So that, I would be willing to bet, is going to take him out for several weeks, if not you know, a couple months at this point. So um, definitely don't expect him for a while, probably out for the rest of the playoffs. Definitely a tough loss. Um, for the Milwaukee Bucks, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, he's been ruled out simply for game two. So, uh, And the same for the Grizzlies, uh, John Morant. With the hand injury, Antetokounmpo's is a back injury. Morant, the hand injury, he's out for game two as well. So those two not playing their next immediate game, which is, you know, sad. But good to see that it's game-to-game determination. That's a good sign as far as them being able to return quickly and, uh, you know, pick up the pace quickly, get back up to speed, um, be able to play big, uh, big moments for their teams in the playoffs. So... That's great to see. Regardless, all three of these guys certainly wishing them the best as they work to recover from those injuries. Um, and again, we'll keep you posted on the specifics as they happen. So that's it for our key news for today. We've done our game summaries. As far as our additional talking points, um, I just wanted to touch on real quick a couple of questions I was kind of thinking about um, in preparation for uh, if we had Justin on the call. And real quick, apologies. Um Justin is right in the middle of a pretty busy work season um, on top of, you know, still finishing up this semester of his schoolwork. So um, absolutely no fault of his own and and, and no fault of, of his work either. You know, it's just uh, that's his, that's the important thing for him right now. He, he's got work, you know, and um, so that that's why he's not on the call. Um, would love to have him, but certainly wish him the best as he's getting those things. You know, he's taking care of business. Um, literally. And so, but I had some kind of thoughts I was thinking about as far as at this point in the first round, looking at the series, you know, um, I'll just kind of talk through these questions as far as my own thoughts, uh, who's exceeded expectations in this playoff so far. Um, and I would say, I mean, you can say the heat, they got that first game. That was a nice little surprise maybe a small little bit, the Knicks. Um, I think a pretty easy pick here. Nets would be a decent option too, but I'll probably go with the Clippers. That's probably a pretty clear choice as far as exceeding expectations. Both games, I mean, you you lost one of them, but you're tied one-to-one. You stole a road game. Both games, Kawhi, we knew that he was capable of being, you know, all NBA close to even MVP level player um, when he's there, when he's consistent, when it's playoff basketball, you know, and he's delivered on that. He's kind of meeting. Okay. This is what we expect of Kawhi. What we you know, know he's more capable of, of more often than not. And so that's great. But then Russell Westbrook, you know, and again, I said it on Monday, I've been, you know, one of the more in my conversations with friends and family, one of the more vocal detractors of Russell Westbrook. And I try not to, it's nothing against him as a person, as uh, you know, uh, outside of a basketball player, a family man, you know, it, it's just purely, you know, basketball terms haven't always felt that he's always been conducive to winning, but the way he's played for the Clippers so far in the playoffs, it's only two games, but he's been stellar. And if he can fill some of those spots left by Paul George, the defense, along with, you know, filling up some points, rebounding, assisting, being able to fill all those boxes, somewhat similar to a Paul George, very different styles of play. That's going to be huge for the Clippers if they're going to try and upset the Suns in the series without a Paul George. They're without Paul George for the whole series, most likely, pretty much 95% most likely. And so they've got Kawhi and then Westbrook, along with their pretty solid depth overall, not not greatest, not terrible. And if they are going to try and beat the Suns, you know, the Suns are going to be very solid most nights. Suns have a little bit of that margin where they'll give you some chances if you're really on your, you know, on the money. They'll give you if if you are really locked in, there is those there are those chances to be able to beat the Suns like we saw in game one. And 
for the Clippers to have taken that game one already, they've gotten what they needed to do kind of minimum in terms of if they were going to win the series. They stole a road game. Now they're going home with Westbrook and Leonard and these early returns on their play. That's my easy pick for a team that's exceeded expectations in a series that now suddenly I thought was going to be an easy pick for the Suns. Now I'm a bit nervous and the Suns could be, you know, if they if they have a collapse, if the Clippers continue to be hot, there could be an upset. And so that's my exceeded expectations pick. As far as a team that's failed to meet expectations, um, I, again, I really don't think we've had a ton of that. I think a lot of teams have played up to their level. Uh, you know, they've kept series competitive. It's been very exciting. Um, I think if you have to pick one, you know, maybe you mentioned a team like um, – the Warriors purely because they haven't been able to take a game. And that would really be the only fault because otherwise, again, they've had tremendous play in both games. Um, They've lost both games, but they've had tremendous play and um, they're without Draymond for game three. That's going to be a big factor. And if they lose that game three, you can essentially, you know, knock on wood, but you can, you know, write that series off. But um Again, they've been competitive. I can't really say that they've failed to meet expectations. Uh, it hasn't really been a fault. It's just been the Kings have been a better team. And so I, I think that would just be my, you know, default pick if I had to pick one. Because otherwise, you know, teams have really done what they can to to be competitive in these series. Um, and then the last question I'd written down, uh, a series pick that I would amend if we had revisions to our um, postseason predictions. And it'd be easy to, you know, pick the Bucks and the Heat in terms of if Giannis is out for extended time, that gives the Heat a very good chance to upset that series. You know, you think back to 2012, um, that Bulls-Sixers first-round series, that was a 1-8 matchup. Bulls were number one seed, number one team in the NBA that season. Um, Derek Rose gets hurt. That was the, you know, unfortunately iconic, um, you know, you remember where you were when Rose was injured in that first round series and that changed the whole series. The Sixers were able to rally. They won that first round series. They were, I believe the last team to win as an eight seed against the first seed. And they went to the conference semis. And I think they had a good series against Boston too. And so, that could be a pick as far as, um, you know, knowing what we know now. Um, otherwise, Knicks, Cavs, um, or Suns, Clippers, either of the four or five seeds, it could be very easy to argue. I, you know, it might be worth looking at going with that fifth seed. Both have been competitive, both have shown signs to be able to win the series, <clears throat> excuse me, against their particular opponent. And so, if I was to look at an, an amended matchup, those two, along with maybe a Bucks heat matchup, would be the ones I would look at. Um, but overall, I think we've done a fairly decent job as far as, you know, overall kind of how we felt these series probably could go. But again, uh, we're only a couple games in. We've got a long, you know, still a good ways to go, um, and nothing is finite at this point so definitely something to keep your eye on um, as we go into the rest of this week again a lot of great basketball um, coming up tonight we had uh, you know the final uh, game twos for all the series we had three of them that were played tonight um, so we'll recap those as part of Friday's show but tomorrow and Friday as far as the game action for Thursday and Friday we've got the start of uh, the game threes so we've got three game threes on Thursday three game threes on Friday. Um, and then on Friday, we'll go ahead and get you prepped for the weekend um, where we could see uh, some series start to come to a close. Um, we could some see some series starting to get even tighter, you know, two, two series. Um, and um, by the end of Sunday, we're going to be well into the game fours, maybe even starting to look ahead to the game fives of those series. So definitely um, a lot of exciting basketball coming up. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and talk about our uh, This Day in History fact for you, which has a, it's a very loaded one, but we'll 
go ahead and give it to you anyways. We're going back to 1992, so about 31 years ago at this point. Uh, April 19th of 1992, Detroit's Dennis Rodman won his first NBA rebounding title with 1,530 total rebounds for an 18.7 rebounds per game average. Those were the highest rebounding marks in the league since the Lakers' Wilt Chamberlain pulled down 1,572 boards for a 19.2 rebounds per game average during the 1971-72 season. Um, Just side note here before I go on, worth noting that 72 season for the Lakers was that uh, incredibly dominant season for them. They had the longest winning streak in NBA history. They won the title, uh, by far and away the league's best team that year and one of the greatest teams of all time, uh, if we're going to be completely honest. Uh, Anyways, back to this fact, Rodman's total of 1,530 rebounds represented 42.1% of the Pistons' total rebounds, which were 3,631. That individual percentage, uh, one player's percentage of a team's total rebounds, that's the top individual percentage in NBA history. Rodman went on to lead the NBA in rebounding for seven consecutive seasons, which is an NBA record. When you talk about greatest rebounders of all time, it's really tough to do much better than Dennis Rodman, and especially you consider um, not only his height. That's been talked about. He was a pure athlete. That made up for the height, but his his background. If you've ever seen the uh, ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary series there's one that talks about the bad boy pistons and it talks about the beginnings of detroit uh, you know that that detroit team and the beginnings of those players and dennis rodman of course was a factor and learning about his background the troubled childhood the troubled home life to come out of that and be able to do these things i mean there's a good amount of those stories but it doesn't make it any less impressive so impressive person you know, who cares about the uh, the extracurriculars, you know, the marriage in the in the arena and the the hair and the the North Korea visit and all that stuff. I mean, when you can be the most likely the greatest rebounder of all time, pound for pound, regardless of height, um, hard to argue with that. So, uh, yeah, the worm tremendous career um, with that. That takes care of our uh, show for you today. Once again, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it, both new and experienced listeners. Um, if you want to check out our Instagram page, that's crossover across time, all one word on Instagram, no capital letters in that name. We share content from the show, but we also do our best to share content from across the NBA. So it's a great place along with the podcast itself. You know, those two hand in hand, uh, those will really help you keep up with the NBA as a whole. Uh, so that being said, thank you all again for listening. We'll be back on Friday with uh you know wrapping up those game uh game twos and game threes and and getting you ready for the weekend so we'll be back with you then and thanks again 